This is the Blue Bomber Podcast with CFL Hall of Famer and my broadcast partner, Doug Brown. It's like a head-on car accident there. Had to piggyback him, grab onto his waist as he pulled him, kind of like a tractor pull there for a couple yards. You can play it safe. You don't have to take these risks and just nickel and dime your way down the field. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast in iTunes or at cjob.com. Hey, it's G-Mac along with Doug Brown. Although he's back from Nicaragua, I can't get him into the studio. He's in places unknown as we speak this afternoon. Oh, Brandon isn't so unknown. Come on, two hours away. I didn't know if you wanted to give away your actual location. But, Doug, great to have you back. I'll ask you about your trip to Nicaragua at the end of this. But I have to ask you about the Blue Bombers' trip to Calgary. That was quite the convincing job by the Blue Bomber offense, defense, Justin Medlock. The only place maybe we could have a little bit of complaint is on kick coverage teams, but we we won't uh, cut too far. Or the first line half here. of the game, right? Or the first half of the game. Yeah, when they were losing. Yeah, well, yeah. you know what though, but that that game was almost identical to the West final last year in Calgary, and uh, I don't know what happened differently at halftime this year versus last, but the Blue Bombers scored twenty seven straight points in that second half. What does this do for the Blue Bombers' confidence after a big win like that, doing what they did and how they did it? Well, first of all, I think there's a couple things uh, that these players are realizing. First and foremost, I mean, Calgary's been a death trap for anything Winnipeg Blue Bomber related going into there. It's just been a black hole of uh, no return for football teams that are, are trying to salvage any sort of points. Um, you know, you usually you go to Calgary – and you pat yourself on the back if it isn't a blowout. That's usually how one-sided it is. You're like, hey, guys, we lost, but we only lost by 10. Let's all congratulate each other and go buy a beer. That's usually the mantra in Calgary because they've been so dominant at home for so long. So, um, yeah, you know, to have a statement game like that where you win by 21, that's just that is a ridiculous amount of confidence. Add to the fact Calgary St. Peter's are the defending Grey Cup champions, and you just knocked them off their throne. You just... Uh, made sure that that belt, that championship belt, is now up in the air and and, uh, available for grabs right now. So uh, it's a huge, huge momentum and confidence boost for this football team. And I think Saskatchewan Rough Riders have to be very, very uh, leery and wary of this team uh, coming in, riding a real hot streak and, you know, uh, really playing on another level right now with – the, the confidence they get from that side, that sort of accomplishment. Is there a danger that there's too much confidence after a win like that? No, not really, because, you know, they didn't play outside of themselves. If anything, we saw them revert back to the positive characteristics that used to be part of their, you know, those identity traits that they had in previous years. That You know, for a couple years in a row, they were setting records, and, you know, they were intercepting the football more than anybody in the league. They were breaking records. And they got back to that, you know, uh, the the four-game losing streak, they lost four of their last six games, as football team did. And uh, I believe they had, in those four losses, they had a total of three interceptions. This single game, they took it away three times. So they got back to a, a lot of the things that traditionally have worked really well for this regime in this era of bomber players, and that also includes you know winning the turnover battle. I believe that was uh, plus four for them in this game where they didn't turn the ball over at all and they took it away four times. So uh, once again, in that those four games they lost out of the final six of the regular season, I think they were minus three. So. 
they got back to things that have boded very well for this football team. Uh, aspects of their play that that you know indicate that they're going to have a real good chance of winning and obviously part and parcel of that too was having that two-headed quarterback monster whether it's Nichols and Strebler or like we saw in this game Kolaris and Strebler this team has always played their best football when they have one running quarterback Chris Strebler and one guy that is a pocket passer stays in the packer uh, stays in the pocket and distributes the football and throws it down the field, and uh, that's what they had this game. Nichols was seven and two when they had that two-headed monster at QB, and uh, Claris just got his first win with uh, the addition and accomplishment of Strebler back there. So you know, I, I'm going to say that the one thing that Zach Claris did better than Nac- Matt Nichols did in these playoff games and back-to-back years, was he was able to go vertical. Matt Nichols was unable to stretch the field against the Stamps in the West Final last year. Zach Claro's 71-yard touchdown to Darvin Adams, and a huge play, I don't know if you saw it this way or not, 40-yard completion to Darvin Adams out of the shadow of their own goalpost to flip the field position game, which was solidly in Calgary's favor to that point in time. Caleros finding a way to do something that, that Nichols couldn't do a year ago. Yeah, you know, he's uh, he didn't play his best game. I actually thought the previous game he played against Calgary was maybe a little better, and uh, obviously the cold temperatures possibly might have had something to do with that. He got lucky to not be picked off at all in that game. But, you know, it's interesting defending this offense now. So you have a, a very good ground game, running game, with Andrew Harris and Nick Dembski. Then you have a, a passing attack uh, that can beat you over the top with uh, Kolaris and, and make all the throws. You have an expectation of your quarterback being able to make a pocket passer. And then you also have a, a fourth angle there um, in the sense, uh, sorry, a third angle there in the sense that you have uh, Chris Strebler, who's a quarterback, who's a quarterback who can run the, the football very well and uh, threaten the pass himself. So what was very peculiar about this football game was um, Zach Kolaris had 21 passing attempts, zero rushing attempts, and Chris Strebler, I believe, ran the ball 11 or 12 times and didn't attempt to throw it at all. So you got 100% pass-run keys that were uh, delivered to the Calgary Stampeders, and yet they still allowed over 400 yards of or around 400 yards of offense, which is uh, crazy because every time Strebler was in the game, he wasn't throwing it. And every time Zach Claris was in the game, he wasn't running it. So, um, you know, that'll be something interesting they can potentially tinker with when they go to Saskatchewan. But there's just so many levels to defend against now, right? So the, the running attack, the passing game, and the running passing game. It's just, uh, it's, it seems to overwhelm or, or it certainly looked like it overwhelmed the Calgary defense in this, this situation. Uh, a guy that I talk to you about quite a bit and like to – give kudos to whenever there's an opportunity is Nick Dembski and I thought he was a huge part of what the Blue Bombers managed to do on Sunday he didn't have huge stats but that big touchdown run and just his mere presence we've been talking about back and forth since Matt Nichols went down the idea of Paul Lapolice perhaps crafting some plays a three-headed monster in the backfield with Strevler, with Harris with Dembski and then a little bit even with Janarian Grant on that jet sweep which I'm not a huge fan of when it works it's a great play yeah. when it doesn't yeah. it's it, it simply fails miserably but just all of those options now and the number of things that the Saskatchewan Roughriders are going to have to be aware of it, it just maybe too many things for them to take into account. 
Yeah, there's so multiple, right? So everybody wants to key on Andrew Harris. So one of the plays we saw that went to Dembski that was an explosive play was, you know, they kind of flanked Harris out and he was drawing double coverage and Claris was in the game. So they're like, okay, this is definitely going to be a pass. And guess what? They handed it off to Dembski. Uh, a big game. So there's just so many things, you know, you just can't take away one player. Now you really gang up and focus on taking away Andrew Harris. Then they're going to run the ball with Dembski, right? Or they're going to run the ball with Strebler or they're going to throw over the top. It's, it's, uh, it's pretty incredible how multiple this offense is. It's pretty exciting. Um, we only really saw two quarters of it on point and they got uh, 35 points in this game. So imagine if they play four quarters with this, Saskatchewan is going to have their hands full. Every defense, especially in a playoff scenario, you want to take away your opponent's strength. Well, what is that against this team? What are you going to do? You take away Andrew Harris? Well, then Strubler can run the ball, and so can Dembski. You're going to try and take away the, the deep ball by Claris? Then you have all these running elements that you're not suited up for. So it's uh, it's quite a matchup problem, and uh, what a good time of the year to have so many options offensively. Well, and I think it's even more impressive, if, it's a, if it could be more impressive than 35 uh, points to 14, is the fact that the Bombers managed to do this in a scenario where they're playing Calgary, their third straight game. Calgary had one game. Uh, against British Columbia to break up uh, four games for them. That idea, and I have to ask you this, do you think, and and do offensive coordinators do this, was Paul LaPolice uh, creating plays and kind of putting them off to the side, holding them off and saving them for the playoffs? Do O coordinators do that sort of thing? Yeah, you know, I don't think so because there were critical games for the Bombers down the stretch, right? They wanted to win. They wanted to have an opportunity. And uh, I just think it's the difference of, you know, the the things he has available now to him, right? Uh, Chris Strebler, I mean, I didn't – nobody thought he was going to be a viable option for this game, right? He got hurt in that game, and the next game was when Claris started. So uh, nobody thought you you were going to have – a backfield with, uh, you know, quarterback options with Strebler and Kolaris. We all just thought it was going to be Kolaris playing because as the rumor got out, you know, broken bone in your foot, torn tendons, whatever, we just thought, well, you know, uh, maybe Strebler could throw the ball, but his strength is running. So why would you even put him in a game? But I don't know if that was misreported or what. I've never seen anybody with a broken bone in their foot and torn ligaments uh, run that well, that's got to be a, a new one. So usually, you know, even if you have drugs in your system, so you, you can have uh, painkillers, you can get blocks done. Uh, I've had a broken bone in like a toe before that I just had frozen. I played with whatever, but it doesn't make like it, it, it doesn't make it go away. And functionally you're not quite the same, right? Like mm-hmm. you might not feel, the pain, but you're not certainly not as explosive or as nimble or accelerate or run as well. And Chris Trevor looked like he was running as well as he ever has. So uh, I'm not, I, I don't know what's going on with uh, 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 these, uh, this broken bone and, or these, these ligaments. I'm not, I'm not sure if that was misreported or what, because he looked amazing. I've never seen anybody uh, run so well, especially a guy that was supposed to have so many limiting conditions. That was, uh, that was super impressive. We touched on the defense uh, at the beginning here, but I just want to highlight a couple of things in terms of stats and, and probably everybody listening to the podcast already knows these, but uh, Bo Levi Mitchell, zero passing yards in the third quarter, 116 yards passing overall. You've been hearing some of the comments out of Calgary. Yeah, we didn't play our best game and we were off and we've had all sorts of adversity this season. There was 
in my mind, not a whole ton of credit given to the Blue Bombers and the way they played. I think that's a little bit of sour grapes in my mind. But the Blue Bomber defense, what can what more can you say about them? They've been so maligned at different times over the last three or four years. Richie Hall in particular, Doug. Yeah, I mean, I would say they're an inconsistent defense that can have great games and great moments for sure. You're okay, not that's always going to get that certainly. Yeah, uh, you're not always going to get that certainly. There are they have been erratic, that's for sure. They they can be certainly hit or miss where guys just disappear. You'd like to see a defense uh, put in performances. Uh, even close to what we saw on the regular basis. So I'd say they're inconsistent, but man, when they're on, they trend huge towards the positive. And uh, I mean, that was Bo Levi's, it's got to be the worst football game I've ever seen him play. And as in conjunction to do with the, the three picks that he threw, the five passes that were knocked down, uh, the pressure they got to him, they didn't sack him, but you know, he had to get, he was getting rid of the ball uh, early and, uh, you know, his receivers weren't coming, weren't, weren't breaking, even coming out of their breaks yet and giving themselves an opportunity to catch a football. So it was, uh, it was an incredible defensive performance. Uh, Bo Levi just says he had a bad game, but, you know, that is, uh, that's causation from the defense. They were the ones that had the scheme, that had the pressure, that had the coverage, that took the ball away and, and batted it down. That was the reason he had such a, a piss-poor game. We've seen uh, in the past in Calgary, Doug Flutie disappoint in cold weather. Did the cold weather adversely affect Bo Bo Levi Mitchell and the Stampeders more than they're prepared to let on? Yeah, you know, it's funny because Bo Levi's played in a bunch of Grey Cups, a number of them. He's won them in cold weather, but uh, I don't know. It it looked like, uh, you know, things shrink in cold weather and so did Bo Levi's performance. Let's put it that way. So, uh, he certainly his passing attack certainly shriveled up out there in the in the frigid cold and yeah I mean we we talked about it I talked about it a little bit when I did the the pregame show from Nicaragua we were just discussing how sometimes you find out about you know whether you have cold weather guys in your team or not and you don't necessarily learn that through the first you know, 16, 17 games of the regular season, you don't know if you have a cold weather football team unless you've got a bunch of guys that have been there and done that before and, uh, you know, show up regardless of the temperatures or, or adverse elements. And like I say, Bo Levi Mitchell, uh, that's certainly a tagline that hasn't stuck with him because of what he's accomplished in his career in games in November. But, man, uh, did he have a terrible uh, performance out there and he looked uncomfortable all day so hard to say i don't know maybe in his old age he's uh succumbing to the you know old men uh you know their knees start to creak and ache a little bit more when the cold weather comes on maybe that's what's happening with bully by mitchell i have no idea what you're talking about heading to regina now real quick uh, zach caleros going back to where he started the season uh he was injured on the third play of the year uh saskatchewan finds their next star quarterback and Cody Fajardo, all sorts of questions about what uh, he's going to bring to the table. I'm just reading Fajardo has yet to throw the ball deep in practice today. He's a little concerned about his back and what he's going to be able to do. He's being pretty open about that. But Caleros going back to Saskatchewan, is there added incentive there? Does it make it sort of a Cinderella story? And what about Willie Jefferson, the star of the Blue Bomber defense? This is where he played the game for a couple of seasons he's going back to Regina now is is there added incentive for those two individuals and could there be any two better individuals to have this uh sense of I'm going to show them 
Yeah. I mean, Willie Jefferson, we've already seen back in Saskatchewan playing against his old team. So I don't know if he's going to have the same degree of added incentive as Zach Claris. But, you know, it's it's funny, the storyline of this game uh, in, the, in the sense that Saskatchewan gave up on Zach and he got traded twice and boom, here he is squaring off with these guys. No matter what happens in this game, you're not going to get Saskatchewan going oh, we shouldn't have let Zach go. You know, I think uh, I think we all have to agree that Cody uh, Fajardo is probably uh, definitely the future quarterback for that football team. So moving on from Zach, Zach, Zach is probably not a long-term solution uh, for anybody. But, who, you know, if he wins a great cup for Winnipeg, watch out. Who knows what kind of uh, discussion the football club will enter into there. But it'll be real interesting to see. You know, he's going to be super motivated just to show these guys that uh, – you know, he wasn't just uh, another concussion waiting to happen. He still had something left in the tank and that they were premature because obviously if Zach Claris is still there and Cody Vajardo, you know, in the first quarter or first half shows that he's limited, you know, Claris would be the ideal candidate to go into that game and, and bail things out for Saskatchewan. So I'm sure he wants, he's, I'm sure he's highly motivated to go in there and say, hey, you guys, uh, big mistake in moving on from me, not only could I give you depth at the quarterback position when you might need it right now, but look what I can do in big moments in big games. And like you say, Claris on this football team, Winnipeg Blue Bombers, that is so deep and uh, so efficient at every position. He's been uh, looking like, uh, you know, he's got a, a rejuvenated career and he's, you know, he plays off his game is magnified, I think, with all the options that Winnipeg has in terms of what they can do offensively. Makes him look like a better quarterback than maybe he did in Saskatchewan. Bombers have the last week bye in the regular season. Does this give them sort of that artificial bye that they might have gained had they finished first in the very first place? Do the Blue Bombers have all the momentum coming in here? And are they the team to beat between the Bombers and Saskatchewan, are they are they the hotter? Are they the better team? Yeah, I see, they're certainly riding a bigger wave than Saskatchewan right now. Saskatchewan, yeah, finished first and they got that by, but they don't have the same momentum that Winnipeg does, knocking off the defending Grey Cup champions. And, uh, you know, one week later, seven days later, playing your next game. Uh, you know, they're probably they the mindset of like the New York Giants, right? When they had to win all those road games to make it to the Super Bowl and then they won, uh, they're adopting that road warrior mentality. And if you can win against Calgary in Calgary, all of a sudden going into Saskatchewan isn't as daunting as it used to be. So you're not going to call them the favorite? I like Winnipeg to, to win this game for sure. Yeah, I'm taking them in this one without question. I mean, I don't ever want to pick Saskatchewan to win anything, but uh, I sort think my uh, point. I think in this, I think in this instance, uh, Winnipeg legitimately has has the better football team, and uh, they're playing, you know, at a level right now. I'm not sure Saskatchewan can match. Well, I think that's your prediction there, Doug Brown. And uh, real quick, Nicaragua eye-opening, life-altering experience for you. Yeah, I mean, uh, first of all, I, I couldn't believe I actually got the football game on ESP, ESPN2 down there. But uh, Nicaragua, you know, is what a group, first and foremost, that, that I traveled down there with. Uh, the healthcare professionals, surgeons, anesthesiologists, nurses, uh, you know, MDR technicians. The group that we went down there with, incredible. Uh, in Nicaragua, they do about 100 knee replacements, I believe, in a year. We did over 60 in uh, one week that we were down there. So uh, it was uh, tremendous to be able to help out 
uh, a country that, you know, requires these services so much. And, you know, a trip like that to a developing nation, it really gives you perspective, really makes you appreciate and, and, and recognize that, you know, living in Canada, you've won the geographic lottery, uh, whether you were born here, whether you immigrated here or not. Um, you know, we've got options and uh, are fortunate to have resources and opportunities that a lot of people don't have down there. So a uh, very rewarding trip and opportunity going down there, helping these people out. All right. So the road trip to Regina this weekend and all fingers crossed, all arms, legs, toes crossed that we're talking about a road trip to Calgary a week from now. Doug Brown, thanks for this. Talk to you soon. All right, my friend. We'll see you soon. The Blue Bomber Podcast with Doug Brown. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast in iTunes or at cjob.com.